gone to bed that night, a killer, and it was a scary feeling, um, knowing that Stanley was still out there somewhere and going to be found, and um, people would be looking for him, and my life was uh, going to be different now. I didn't know how uh, I would face the people that knew him, face people that um, are investigating. Um, it was difficult to uh, to fall asleep that night, um, but I must have because I remember waking up and going to work. I had a job at this uh, sort of, uh, it's called Eret Sales, and it was this uh, distributor of sort of um, greenhouse uh, potting soil, you know, lime, uh, terracotta pots, and all that soil, and and um, I remember throughout the day feeling very scared, um, feeling very nervous, I should say, and um, trying to go and be normal and go about my business and um, try to fit in and act like uh, nothing has changed. And it was. Um, uh, bit of a feeling of a hangover from a night before of really hard drinking and uh, maybe doing drugs. And um, I made it through the day and there was no suspicion, nothing. But I wouldn't know that all along there was this investigation going on back home. And um, there was a witness to my car. I had a red Isuzu Impulse. It was like an old 1984 car, hatchback. And someone had seen it pulling in and out of that area uh, where Stanley's body had been uh, left. And um, that was their only clue as to who could have uh, done this. And it all got tied back to... Um, in his neighborhood, someone who had just purchased the Isuzu. And so when I pulled in, it was probably about 5 o'clock, still sunny, and um, the cops were waiting in the house across the street, uh, one of the neighbors. And as I approached the house, they sort of released, and. Uh, descended on my property and um, sort of cut off my avenue into the house and just asked me to come with them. That they're investigating the murder of a boy in the neighborhood and they've been going through uh, different neighbors throughout the day and uh, I just got home from work and they've been waiting for me. And so I agreed to go down and 
to make a long story short, um, they never accused me until they asked to search my car. And uh, when they um, flipped up the back seat, the back uh, hatchback, there was like a masonite, I think it's called, sort of a board that covers the spare tire. And when you flipped it up, there was blood that I had missed, that I didn't clean. And I remember the officer, this guy, Eugene Coyle, detective actually, coming up to me and saying, um, where's the blood from? And I said, it's the boy. And I said, I did it. And he goes, you killed him. And I said, yes. I said, I feel sick. And I wanted to, like, pass out. And that was the end. That was the um, beginning of my arrest, uh, my interrogation, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean they put the screws to you. They just interview you and get your statement. So did you, like, did you try to give them the runaround at first, or were they just, like, questioning you just out of, like, hey, we're kind of doing yeah, this with everyone? They, they presented a couple pictures from the scene, and I feigned surprise. Um, I was definitely trying to avoid being caught. Um, uh, they asked me if I knew the boy. Um, and I had worked in the video store years earlier, and I'd seen him around the neighborhood, of course. And... Um, that was about as much as I acknowledged, but I denied seeing him that night um, in my neighborhood. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it really wasn't until I agreed. Don't know why I did. Why I agreed to let them search my car, take a look in my car. That um, I was confronted with, you know, blood evidence that uh, I couldn't deny any longer. And, um, I took responsibility, um, after that and agreed to give a statement without the presence of an attorney. I waived my rights, uh, to have, you know, representatives there, um, and agreed to speak and gave them a full confession. So fast forward a little bit to like the trial and everything where you basically waived your rights and had a confession statement. Did that make it like a short and sweet kind of trial period or? No, it took a long time to get a trial in uh, Waterbury, Connecticut. And so we waited until the trial got close. Um, to come forward and plead guilty before the trial could begin. So we were set on, like, say, a Monday to um, uh, do opening statements and, um, or, I'm um, sorry, pick a jury, uh, to start picking a jury. Um, and that's when I came forward and I said I'd like to take responsibility and plead guilty uh, convicting myself of the crime with no plea bargain. Um, 
prosecutor at the time, his name was John Conley, he since passed away. Um, he pursued the death penalty in this case and was not willing to offer any life sentence or any, you know, period of time for pleading guilty. And so we went forward with picking a jury for a penalty phase because the guilt phase had been decided. And um, this was in 1999. Uh, I believe it was June of 99. And after three and a half days of deliberation upon hearing evidence to the uh, severity of the crime, the I believe the state's attorney used the language cruel, heinous, and depraved was the crime to be found um, to outweigh the mitigating factors, which were maybe my upbringing, um, divorce, any reason why the jury could feel that I didn't deserve to die for the crime because maybe circumstances uh, that led up to the murder um, might not necessarily excuse the behavior, but explain why uh, I became a killer and did what I did. And the jury clearly voted to sentence me to death by saying that the crime was just too heinous too deplorable, too depraved, and didn't matter if I was molested or had a crappy childhood, um, was picked on or was bullied. Um, there was just no excuse. They said death. And in 1999, I believe it was June 23rd, um, the sentence was handed down and short. Two months later, I was sentenced to death, and I was to be executed uh, later that fall, but because of the appeal process taking so long, I would have died before I got my day in court to appeal, so they gave a stay of execution, which put it on hold so that I could appeal. And then in 19, um, I'm sorry, in uh, 2003, listening to the evidence of, I believe it was prosecutorial misconduct, the way that John Conley presented evidence in a sort of um, brazen way of flaunting the law and being dramatic and everything like that, um, it was shown that it was improper and that I deserved another trial. Not necessarily a guilt phase, but another shot at another jury. And in this time, in 2005, when it rolled around, I chose for a three-judge panel to represent the case and decide my fate by having three judges come together and um, have a court decide my, my fate this time. And evidence was presented, more of the same um, 
offering up my experience in the Marine Corps, my troubles in childhood, and um, all that colored me from being a child to a teenager, because I was 18 at the time. And the three judges uh, did not take any pity, did not, um, were not swayed by any of the mitigating evidence that um, I should be excused from the death penalty and so sentenced me once more to return to death row. And um, I returned. Uh, never having left, really having gone to trial from death row. So in that period of from 1999 to 2003, 2005, the next trial, I remained on death row the entire time. You have one minute left. I would remain until uh, 2018. Uh, what was your uh, like first thought when you got sentenced to death? Was it the same for, like, both times? Uh, I had plenty of time to prepare, and the second time was easier to accept than the first. The first was more, oh, my God, like a gong in my chest. I'm being executed. They want me dead. My own country wants me dead. And it was... um, hard to swallow. It was hard to, uh, to uh, face, but much easier the second time because I'd been living on, on death row for so many years. Okay, so does living on death row and experiencing that, does that make you like anti-death penalty or do you agree like in some cases it's eye for an eye? No, um... I had always followed the cases of serial killers that had been sentenced to death. Um, Eileen Warnos, you know, Henry Lee Lucas, and Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was never... um, uh, I don't believe he was sentenced to death. Um, But these are cases that went forward with punishment for the crime. These are people that didn't get away with murder. Um, John Wayne Gacy, for instance, uh, who we know uh, was was put to death. And so my stance never changed. As much as I believe in um, a woman's right to choose, you know, her own body, and if she would like to have an abortion, then I'm not against that. Uh, I do support the death penalty. I would feel that if this had happened to my sister or my nephew or um, even my mother, it doesn't have to be a child that was murdered, um, I don't feel that I could be forgiving and allow someone to continue to live um, Uh, a life of however incarcerated leisure um, 
in a state punishment, the ultimate um, penalty. So in some cases, yes, I do believe in the death penalty. Um, had we brought anyone to justice for 9-11, um, these are mass murderers, serial killers, but it doesn't take more than one body to justify. I think everybody can feel their own family member deserves the same punishment, the same, you know, justice, I should say, than if um, they were one of many. Um, one question I have, like, going back to when you first got sentenced to death, like, was he being 18 and stuff, like, what was your thought process when you actually got into the prison? Like, were you scared and stuff with you being, you know, in young age and a lot of people that's on death row has probably been there for a while? And, which, I believe you were isolated, weren't you, from everybody else and didn't get out much like you, you know, do now in general population? Right. Um... When I was first arrested, I was living in a sort of secure area away from general population rather than thrown into a county jail. And so during my trial, all along, they kept me in segregation. Um, and regardless, it was prison. And it was nothing that I had ever experienced before. I'd never been arrested. I never got a ticket. And so, um, prison was uh, a shock to the system. And when I was sentenced to death, I was taken deeper into the sort of uh, uh, Department of Corrections where it's not protective custody, it's death row. Um, it's a it's a wing that's separated from the rest of um, uh, not population of all population. Uh, whether you're in protective custody, whether you're administrative segregation um, for your fights or whatever you did, you always hear about the seg or the whole. Um, this was deeper. Um, this was pure isolation, and it was um, um, like developing a cancer or some sickness and knowing that this is how you're going to die. Your body has to die um, of unnatural causes. You will be executed. Um, you'll be put to death at an age that is uh, unnatural. And that uh, could possibly be painful. And um, I was so young. And I didn't really um, do anything. I didn't really love. I didn't really live. Um, I hadn't really gotten in trouble, which is the irony. Um, but one day I did something horrible, something terrible, and I broke the ultimate law, and that was murder. And it was capital felony because in Connecticut, anyone under the age of 16 makes you qualified for the death penalty. Um, and I was convicted twice, or condemned twice, I should say. I convicted myself. But um, as for life in prison, 
it was um, nothing like I was used to. And it was um, like living with an illness, um, a sickness when you're completely healthy, but your uh, liberties are what are now suffering the symptoms of isolation and restriction and punishment. Um, and it's really um, difficult. But at the same time, Deservingly so. Which, um, like, when you got, you know, sentenced to a life instead, was that kind of like a relief when you went, you know, to general population and stuff compared to, you know, being on death row? Well, a lot of people think I cheated my way out of the death penalty by having this um, Democratic governor come in and this um, Democratic majority. Uh, vote to abolish the death penalty, and therefore the victim's family was cheated because I was sentenced to death, and I was supposed to die for my crime, not throw away the key and grow old behind bars. Um, so in 2018, 2012, technically, the Connecticut decided to, decided to abolish the death penalty. And it took um, about six years for me to come up and be resentenced and be removed from the death penalty. And it wasn't a relief in the sense that um, I'm escaping the noose, I'm escaping the needle, or a firing squad, or execution chamber, no matter what method of uh, death it was meant to be, and it was to be lethal injection. Um, it was a relief in the sense that um, I would be able to grow old. I was prepared to die. Um, from the age of 18, I had been groomed for years by the department to believe that I was going to die young. And 22 years went by on death row, and um, I remained um, a prisoner, regardless of my penalty, whether it was life in prison or the death penalty, um, my body was going to die in prison. Did you ever, like, beforehand, I know you had, like, some, like, you... Well, not before, and but now too, but like, did you have any like suicidal thoughts before your crime, like just as a teenager? The only moment that I considered anything of ending my life, um, and it wasn't, to be honest, out of remorse, it was out of sort of a cowardice fear of what if I get caught? I'm not going to prison for the next 60-something years. I'm 18. My body's not going to naturally die until it's 80-something. Um, I would not elect a life of imprisonment, confinement. And so 
on the road after having put Stanley's body on the road on the street. Uh, I think it was Fulkerson Drive stands out in my mind um, next to this sort of uh, tree line where I left him. And the drive home where I had wiped the blood off my face from my own T-shirt as a rag and gone home and rinsed his brains out of my hair and out of my eyebrows and my face, um, I did consider, however briefly, of ending my life, but with no method in mind. I had no gun. I had no pills. Um, and maybe I was too much of a coward to do it and thought, go to sleep and maybe you'll get away with this. Even in prison, too, like after you were sentenced to death the first time, um, I know a lot of people are like, some people have that mindset of, I'm going to go out on my own terms, like I got sentenced to death anyway, so like you never thought about it in prison. No, I, uh, although I'm on some mental health pills, like uh, Prozac and Wellbutrin and uh, different things to help with my depression, um, I've never been distraught enough to want to die or want to cheat the system and go out on my own terms. I really believed that um, staying alive could do some good and that maybe I can educate someone else. Maybe there could become a time where Stanley's family will have a question, and if I'm not there, I can't answer them. The same with my own family, leaving them with questions. And suicide robs the family of all those answers. And that's not something I did consider, and I feel today, 25 years later, um, a vigor for life that I'll live as long as. I can. Which I'm not sure how much longer we have on the phone call, but um, kind of want to leave you off with you explaining, like, just kind of, like, any advice you would give to anybody where you had just mentioned, you know, about that, and, like, just your whole thought process around everything and what you would say to somebody that's saying, kind of basically, kind of like in your shoes, you know, so to speak, at, at a young age and maybe be thinking about, you know, possibly murdering somebody, what advice would you give to somebody like that? My advice is not necessarily advice, but I would say you're not going to get away with it. You're not smarter than the police. There's no reason to hurt anybody and think that you'll get away with it. Um, Taking someone's life is the worst thing that you could possibly do, and you will come to understand that one day, even if now it's not. Um, I really, really regret taking Stanley's life or the future that he could have had alongside the future that I could have had with my family. Um, but that. You have one minute left. He could have been in his 30s. He could have been married. He could have produced children. 
Um, he could have been a lifesaver of another person on Earth. I don't know. Um, but you've really got to think that you will not get away with it. Um, everybody gets caught. Um, serial killers that have gone on for years, they get caught. You won't get away with it. Okay, that was our uh, third uh, part interview with killer Joseph Todd Rizzo. Um, we're looking at, what, an hour and a half of interviewing him and him telling his story from the beginning to the end to where he's at now. Uh, we didn't record that part, did we? What? That was the part I just cut out, like the end of his talking. Yeah. About yeah. any follow-ups. So, you know, he'd be more happy to do it. So if you guys have any questions, maybe later on we can, you know. Do like a Q&A. Possibly. Because I think <laughs> his, like, you know, uh, excuse me. But his whole, you know, case and stuff is very interesting. You know, he's at a very young age. And, you know, I know people kind of give, you know, killers a bad name. But like what he said, you know. Stanley could have been, well, both of them, really. But, you know, Stanley could have had a life. He could have had a life. Like, and the way he talked in the last episode, if you haven't listened, it was basically Stanley was just in the wrong place, wrong time. His mindset was in a bad space at that time. Like, So what were you going to add? Um, Like what he was saying there at the end, like, you're not going to get away with it for anyone that, like, feels that way or thinks, like, oh, hey, violence is the um, answer. Yeah, I know people could say, you know, there are killers and serial killers that get away with murder, but... Rarely this day te age. Technology has gone better, which they just solved a case from the 80s of a guy that was a, a serial killer. Like, he's dead now. But still, but they got answers. Yeah, they, they like, had a press conference. I forgot. He killed, like, three people, I think, but he, like, shot it in the head, like, uh, hotel clerks or whatever. But, like, Really, the only, like, even the Zodiac Killer might actually eventually be discovered. Probably the only serial killer that never will be discovered will be, like, Jack the Ripper and stuff like that. Because there's, looking at how old it is, something like that old in the way things were back then. But as long as they have DNA that they have that wasn't contaminated, you know, technology improved every week in that. Yeah. But, like what you were saying, you know, you, know, you, you can't get away with but That's even, it. like, if you're feeling that way, like, you're that type of person, like, you just have so much anger and you think, or, like, even just a fascination with true crime and stuff and you think you're going down the wrong path with it and that you want to try to do that to someone, like he said, for one, you're not going to get away with it, so you need to understand that. But also, reach out for help before you get to that point. Like, if you're that angry and you feel like, hey, I really, I can't control this. Get professional help. Like, I know that's scary to do, and it is a hard thing to achieve, especially if you don't have, like, insurance or something. But even if you went and said, like, hey, I need a 72-hour psych hold at the ER. Like, hey, I feel like I, I am a harm to others. I am a harm to myself. Like, just do that because there is help out there. And I know the mental health stuff isn't always the best, and there's a lot of stigma around it. And it would be scary to admit to yourself and other people, like, even to yourself, it would be hard to admit, like, hey, I think I'm very capable of doing this, I'm kind of scaring myself. Like, reach out for help. 
before the it comes to sad it. part though too and you hear this a lot people will reach out or try to get help and then it's just overlooked and they're like oh you know they should have reached out when in reality they did they right. just waited until it was too late and i'm thinking you know <sighs> I can't remember if we talked about it either of the other two episodes i wouldn't blame horror movies I know a lot of like old generations blame horror movies and stuff. I see that more as a creative, like where I've talked about, like I'm basically him in a sense because I grew up watching horror movies, but I didn't turn out like that. Like I have my good days, my bad days, just like anybody else and stuff. And sometimes I get mentally exhausted, but I've never actually wanted, you know, physically kill somebody. So I know a lot of people like to blame music horror movies you know i like in that sense that's more you know somebody's mind and creation and you know it's you know what i mean it's entertainment purposes some people yeah, came some people can't you know understand movies from reality which that that's not their fault usually that's something wrong with them mentally yeah so it still boils down a lot of because if you think about it ted bundy talked about drinking all the time uh, a lot of them talked about you know, having substance abuse, substance, and substance trauma, abuse, trauma, born with just mentally ill genetics, you know, anything. Yeah, like he said, he's on medication now for depression. And technically, what if, you know, his life was different? You know, he could be a good citizen right now. Could have literally been you doing true crime podcasts and horror movie fanatic. Yeah. And <laughs> Went the other way with it. Because, like, I don't want to take that away. Because, like I said, a lot of the older generation, you know, they point fingers at everybody else. Like, say that parents are beating their kid and then the kid comes out to, you know, to be a violent person. They'll be like, well, it's because he's watching movies. You're not pointing the finger at yourself in that circumstance. Because if you're being mean to your child and doing stuff like that, they're going to pick up on that. And like what I learned in psychology back when I was in high school, you know, I'm not going to say it's towards everybody because it's not like that. Um, well, they always say, you know, whatever your parents done or whatever you're around, that's who you are, because that's all you know. But a lot of this generation that, you know, we have talked about, you know, a lot of this younger generation's breaking those curses that have been placed on us throughout the years. And that's kind of, you know, the way to look at it. But one thing I do find really interesting in this, this whole conversation with him on this part, was his fact that he's still, you know, for the death penalty in some circumstances. And he, you know, honestly admitted if this would have happened, like if I would have been in their shoes, I'd expect the same thing. Right. Like he was up front, be like, you know, if this happened to somebody, which he explained, whether it be a kid, mother, anybody, some people do deserve the well, death see, penalty. see, I just, I think he's really intelligent because like most people would be like, oh no, I'm not for it because they were there well, and like seen it, you know, but. The media still shows, which I think where they do a lot of like interviews now, and there's other podcasts that do interviews with killers. But you know, we're I consider Joseph a friend. I'm assuming you do as well. So I like you know what I mean. We're not we're not interviewing him for strict business. This is actually more like a research, and he's helping us out in that aspect of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like. He he's very smart, like you said. He's not a lot of people. What what I'm getting at, a lot of people's like, oh, you know, they're a killer. You can't listen to him. You can't believe, which a lot of them you can't believe. But I think he's somebody that has, like you talked about earlier before, and like the other parts, 
that he's somebody that has gotten better. He has re- he has really tried to rehabilitate himself and where he was at such a young age. I think it's fascinating with this such like the system is such shit, and like they don't get provided with like excellent education, well, healthcare stuff like that. He has like educated himself and has done all these classes and stuff over these years and has just read a bunch of books on his own will and everything to try to understand and just grow personally. And I just think that's like, that's amazing. That's true rehabilitation. Well, that's something that too you could kind of look at um, with all that as well. Crap, hold on. Kind of lost thought, my thought process there. He's very intelligent to be educated by a prison system because we all know they don't get. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, (laughs) what if he. Okay, that's where I was going with. Like, you know, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, he's a monster. He doesn't sound like a monster. He's just like me and you. And like she said, he's intelligent. You can tell he's intelligent. Just imagine if he wasn't in prison. You'd never know. If someone wouldn't tell you, you wouldn't not know that. Yeah. Like, he's got, you know. His, which he's in his early 40s, so I'm not sure how his health is and stuff. But, you know, he's talked about, you know, he's losing weight and stuff right now, or he gained weight and stuff. But, like, he, he's a healthy guy is what I'm saying. But, you know, he's learned everything on his own, basically. And like he said, he didn't have a life. He's 18 years old. He's been in prison since. You know, so I... It would probably be a little bit harder to adapt a little bit once he got out, if he ever did get out. I don't think he is, most likely, unless something yeah. changes. But a lot of crimes when they're young, sometimes things change. But people really wouldn't know. Like I said, if he would have had... I don't want to... Nothing bad against him, but it's sad it took that for him to be, because he was seems to be more or less a little careless when he was younger. But, I think he truly had a break with reality. Like, I think he just had so much going on him and, like, maybe the being molested for years part, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, added to that. That's what I'm saying. Like, if he wasn't, if none of this happened and he had the resources that we have today and him not being in prison, you know, the resources he has in there, look at him to compare to what he could have outside. He really could be somebody. Yeah, I think he'd be a very successful person in anything that he put his mind to because he's intelligent on a lot of subjects and i also think it's respectable that he does recognize what he did and like he thinks about the family and he understands those losses he's like you lost grandchildren you lost seeing your son graduate get married that was another thing i thought was interesting though too with that with him talking about you know if he killed himself that he wouldn't be there to give answers i thought that was very that's a very deep way to look at that because like what he said, whether the family's like, hey, why, or whatever, because a lot of people always want to know why. Like if, they if he's dead, out. he can't, because I'm not going to throw, I know he's throwing the media under the bus, but <laughs> they will, I know a lot of his case, it's they, it's what they way they played it off as, like, oh, he was into killers and stuff like that, so that's why he done. But you never know with media and TV, you never know, because they're trying to make a story. I know a lot. Of, you can go to the direct source, and like with in his case, I think he's being truthful on everything he says. You know, which like I said, he might not say the complete truth because time just changed. Like he said, his memory. You know, when he said, you know, I thought it was this date or something. You know, stuff like that. But still, the main story is what he's saying. 
And that's kind of the way I look at it in that aspect as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's, you know, being upfront about everything. And he says, you know, he wants to be there in case, you know, Stanley's family or his family has questions. And it's not them just wondering why. He would be there be like, hey, what's going on? You know what I mean? I also feel like, like I truly, I just think it was a break from reality. Like, I'm not saying he didn't know what he was doing because he, like, he obviously did, but I do think it was a bit of a break from reality because even at the young age of, like, pleading guilty, not wanting a plea, waiving his rights to an attorney, like, he didn't try to weasel his way around. You Which know he did I mean? talk about, like, at first, you know, kind of. and then Out just, of fear, probably. Yeah, a lot of, he's 18 years old, you know. Never experienced being arrested at all, and now it's for, like, yeah, a serious that's, murder. That's pretty crazy, you know. Which some people have, you know, little things here and there that eventually, you know, become a serial killer. But, you know, he's, he's just a killer, which is still bad enough. But like he said, he had nothing. And then first thing he does, he, he murders somebody. It's not like he went to jail for a DUI, you know, for a little bit, like, say, a couple nights in jail. Or, like, he didn't do nothing else. Like, it was just literally straight no to history. murder. I just think he, like, I think he snapped back to reality because even... Like, he went to jail, and he was like, okay, you know what? I realized that was wrong, and, like, I have some serious mental health problems, and I need to get that taken care of, because, like, I mean, he's been on medicine, like, medication, and done the classes. Like, I think he just, he truly understood, wow, like, something's seriously wrong with me. I need to fix that. Which I think even, which, I'm all for mental health, and... Especially, I know nothing against women. Women do, you know. <laughs> I'm not, you know, you know what I mean? But society has accepted men, mental health for men more here lately, and it's getting better. Back then, he was still, you know, a lot of people, that's nothing against, you know, women or anything like that. But society's put, which with women, they put a lot of the stress on them, you know, handling everything. It shouldn't be like that. And with men, they There's, put they put on their, it was put on their mind at a young age from the older generation just growing up. Nobody cares. Don't show emotion. You can't show emotion. And I think if he would have had the support that he could possibly get now and be more accepting, I I don't think it would have happened. I definitely agree to that. If he could have got adequate help. Because compared to 97 to now, a lot has, like, you know, with the uh, LBQ. T community and all. LBGTQ. Yeah, LBG, yeah. But like with them and all that, like it's gotten better. There's you more know, acceptance and you, there is you, people that understands, but there's still. You still people. have, well, from nothing against where we're from, a lot of people are still <laughs> older, older generation. Very much like. Uh, but in a lot of areas, it's better. Yeah, and you probably have, a, his you have area, your handfuls in the world. Can't say his area, but it probably is better yeah. than anything around here. You still have your handfuls of people here and there that are going to be like, fuck you. <laughs> Which one thing I do want to talk about, not to mention, you know, go into full detail as the dad. But he, like, I know in the first part he mentioned about, you know, his growing up, like, he still loved his dad. His dad wasn't there, but he does have, seems to be a good relationship with his father now. So, I'm not sure about his mother. Um, I think that they get along I from what I do. understand. Yeah, it's I just they don't talk. get to talk a whole lot. I think it's a technology issue. Yeah, because his dad's like in his seventies, so his mom's probably you know around the same age. Yeah. So a lot of the older folks like know, relies on other people to get it set up for him and 
things like that. But it like, seems it seems like he like nothing against them, but a lot of parents don't get their kids help or. You got to notice the signs. I wouldn't say because you can go about it by getting them professional help or you could just do little things. It seems like he wasn't getting attention, so he found his love and stuff into other things. And, you know, it could have just been a simple thing of them, which it seems like because he was talking about, like, in the first episode that his mom was, listening, you know, working a lot and everything. His dad wasn't around. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it could have just been a simple thing as well, even, being in here. Even in to, that day and age, though, too, like you said, mental health wasn't really accepted, especially for boys. Not a young boy at that. Yeah, so they probably just thought, oh, he's, you know, he's just being a boy. Like typical, boys... typical teenager boy. Yeah. Typical boy growing up. He's into all this stuff. Like, I don't at all blame the parents, but there is things, like, especially now, there is no reason now to not notice signs and get your kids help because there are so many resources, so much help, so much education that is free for you to learn about child development, mental health in children. Um, young adolescent, like, you know, all ages, there's so much information on it, and everybody has phones and computers, basically, now, like, you can Google it, everything's free information, there's absolutely no reason not to notice the signs, and even if you don't technically know what to do, you could, you putting the effort in and noticing the signs and trying to do stuff better Even is if a you big... can't afford professional help, if yeah. you still read things, because, you, like what she said, you can read things online that is the same thing like you're not going to be professional at it but there are things they will give you be like hey this is what you it's can not going to gonna be as good but if you can't afford it there are things that you can avoid and things you can learn to do and say and it's just a routine from there staying yeah. in routine with your kids something like that but you can always reach out to resources too because especially for children these days they have waivers and things so if you notice anything Definitely reach out and like reach out if you feel like an angry person or something. Like, hopefully, nobody under 18 is listening to our podcast. But if you are, tell your parents, tell a teacher you feel safe with, a counselor, ask for help. If you're an adult, do the same thing, ask for help from someone. Because, um, I don't know, just like, yeah, we're a true crime podcast, and like I said, uh, Joseph's uh, interviews were very good, but. Like, I know a lot of people are in the true crime. We are as well. But, you know, in reality, everybody's like, oh, you know, true crime this, true crime that. Like, they make it a joke. You know, everybody's guilty of it. But listen to Joseph talk, you know, what he went through. And listen to other people talk of what they went through and stuff and what they've done. You know, it's really what it boils down to. It's not a joke, if you know, looking at it like that. Because you're looking at you know, Stan, like he said, Stanley's family, you know, they lost their son. And I know a lot of people are against, you know, people that do the crime. But in reality, their family is affected as well because his parents could, you know, could have been like, I lost, I lost my son as well, just in a different, different way, style and yeah. scenario. You know, yeah, their son's still alive and stuff, but they still lost their son because he's had to grow up in a prison. Like, the way he is now that you hear on the phone, it's like what we were saying earlier. He could be out. He could be a completely different person if he never went to prison. Yeah. Like, we don't know what he what his life would have been. But he grew up. He was isolated on death row for look how long. Till he said basically till 2018 when they finally switched him over. And there are studies that show that, like, 
prolonged isolation does affect your mental state. Yes. Like, it impacts it very big, and if it's long enough, it can even cause, like, permanent damage. Which I think we talked about in the last episode, but he does seem happier. And yeah. He, like, we've talked to him since he's been in general population, but he did go to another prison since we've talked to him. But the place he's at now, like, he seems happier. Like, you know, he still has prison issues, but it's just, like, growing up with your family and stuff. You're around them all the time. Same thing with prison. You're around those guys all the time. Like, there's going to be bickering, fighting, stuff like that. And, but, really the only reality, you can't really leave there. Like, for us, you know, if you get upset with somebody, what can you do? Just walk away, but there you're well, stuck. You, you can go, you know, outside, do something. There, like, you can go to your cell, but they can just come right to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're still in the same building, you really can't <laughs> Or if your cellmate's there, you're not alone. Like, we've never been in prison, but... You know, people I've talked to and just hearing, like, and things you see on TV, like, prison is a hard life. And people like, oh, they get off easy. They can do all of this. But if you talk to somebody that's been in prison, listen to what they talk about. Because it's, I'm sure, like with him, he misses the little things that we take for granted. Like, if we want to go outside, we can walk outside at, like, Sounds like it's raining, but we can walk outside. He can't. Fresh air, certain snacks. If he if he walks outside, it's gonna be a certain time, probably. Even, even certain movies and like music, because they only have a certain library of stuff. Like they don't let just anything be played. And a lot of them, because there's uh, I know I've talked about it on other episodes about a guy I know that does the stories from the penitentiary on YouTube, which I think he wrapped up. He basically wrote like every person in prison. That was like in there for like, you know, murder and stuff in every state. And everybody, like at least one person in every state, or like every, every murder case. Every he's read thousands of people, Jeez. and he read like their letters, which you know not a lot of people don't like that, but um, which he he pretty much says you know what he does and stuff. But a lot of them, because the videos I've watched and stuff, I watched a lot of them when he asked them, you know, what do they miss and you know miss from the world. A lot of them just outside, like nature, being being able to walk in the woods. You know, some of them's got like some little things, like uh, there was some that was really, which that one guy I talked to, I think he was talking about, you know, just a touch of somebody, you know, smelling like a girl's hair and all that. <laughs> which Sorry, in reality, funny, he's been in prison weird. since like ninety, but it's probably just. <laughs> Well, I'm a guy, but, I, you know, I actually take care of my hair. I, you know, wash my hair every day, beard, all that. But, like, a lot of guys don't, but, you know what I mean? Yeah. So they probably just smell, so you don't want, you know what I mean? But but still, like I said, a lot of them is just the freedom that we take for granted. And it's more or less a lot of, you know, like I said, in there you kind of got to ask permission to do something. Out here, you technically don't. Well, you can say, hey, I want to do something. You mind if I do it? Out of respect for your spouse or somebody like that. If I ever went to prison, I think the hardest thing for me would be, like, talking to people on the phone whenever I wanted. Because I absolutely cannot stand that. Like, if I can't call somebody right when I think about it. Well, phone calls have gotten cheaper. Because, like, we thought with his, till we got actually looked. Because, you know, I put money on the account and stuff. But what, a little under $3? Per yeah. call, and it was what like four. Yeah, it was like over for like maybe that like was like four that times. was like last year. So it's changed, you know, a little bit. And I knew back in probably eighties, nineties, collect call 
They said it would be, I've heard people talking about paying hundreds of dollars in phone bills calls. Yeah. And we have a cell phone. If we want to call somebody right now, like you said, we can call somebody. Yeah, like, there. that would be my thing, because I just, te- like, I'll call or just text my friends whenever I want. You can't text nobody. Yeah, you can't They text. can email, but you still got to pay for it. And sometimes it still takes a long time, because I've had issues on there to where, it's not like, instant. yeah, like, <laughs> it's supposed to be sort of instant, like, yeah, the guard, the COs have to go through it, I guess, they're supposed to, technically, whatever, and then hit send, like, allow it to come through or whatever, but... Yeah, I've had instances where it's been like three days late. Some of them just never come at all. So well, that's one thing too. Like, especially with the phone. Like he's been able to call us. Like last week we didn't. We weren't able. Which our house phone was being weird. Yeah. And uh, but it seemed to work this week. But he like when we first set this up, he was like, "I'll try to call you late because you know I'm off. I work night shift, so." I'm off certain days, and he can only call late on odd days. So he's like, you know, the phone's usually not occupied, so I should be able to call. So that's a lot. Of, another thing, yeah, you a might, certain amount of phones for a shit ton of people. Yeah, and if everybody wants to call somebody, you might not get called who you want to call that day. Yeah. So you're kind of still screwed there. Here, you pick up your phone, you do whatever you want. There, you might have to sit there and wait for a while before you make a phone call or just give up on it. And there's just like the corded to the wall art, like. People think a landline is weird these days. Which I'm kind of wondering, which you hear the beep throughout all the episodes. That's that's it's in recording. Monitoring, yeah. But actually, I don't remember the other two episodes. You can actually hear somebody in the background. I, I heard them today. I don't know if yeah. you can hear it on audio, like recording, but I heard it. Because so, it sounded quiet, because he said usually they're not occupied, but I think tonight there's somebody else in there. So you, you don't... <laughs> Like, if I want to go call somebody outside and didn't want Olivia to hear, I just, you know, walk outside there. Yeah, like private conversation. You're, you're there. <laughs> so, and like I said, and people recorded. aren't considerate either. Like, some people holler. Oh, yeah. And that's a lot of things you hear in prison, especially like in the movies and stuff, too, with them like yelling and stuff. But, um, have you got anything else to add? No. We've talked for about almost <laughs> half an hour again. But see, that's one thing that. Uh, mention real quick <laughs> about him like going like when I asked him about you know when he went to prison the first time death row because like with the West Memphis 3 case those three boys they said that the uh, can't remember I think it was Jason bought this is the you know, like I said West Memphis 3 the three boys that were charged for killing three younger boys and we don't they got out we? no we had not I usually don't touch I thought we mentioned it we've mentioned it like we don't touch as much on like we touch on popular cases, but I try to add a different maybe we should a different <laughs> thing to it. You know what I mean? Because a lot of yeah. them have been repeated. It's like with Ted Bundy stuff like that. I done his ghost things like that. I try to do something a little different. But he was talking about in one of the podcasts I listened to about where they basically he was like 16 years old when he got arrested. Uh, Damien I think was 18 and Jesse uh, 16, 17. They're all you know roughly together, but like. They stripped him down, and all the other inmates walked by him and basically laughed. And he was known as a child killer. Yeah. And like I said, there's a lot of evidence and theories that they didn't do it. But it seems like with Joseph, he didn't have that bad of experience. Yeah, like he wasn't in there like, oh, fresh meat, let me get some of that. Like he might have been to an extent, but like the way he talked, you know, he was just already in isolation. They put him deeper in isolation. Right. But... 
which uh, Jason and Jesse, they were actually, Damien got the death sentence, the other two got life, so that's probably why they were put, because they were going straight into population. So, and like I said, can you imagine me at 16 years old, being stripped down to nothing, and, and having a bunch of men, full, scary yeah. men in there for murder, and you didn't do nothing? And they're saying, <laughs> they know that you're a child killer. But you actually didn't do it. Yeah, there's strong evidence so you might not have done shit. it. And they're gonna they're gonna mess with you. Yeah. Which I think Which yeah, Joseph was eighteen, but that's still young as hell. I'm sh- I'm sure if he was in general population at eighteen, I think it would have been different. Probably. He probably would have got possibly the same treatment. <laughs> but I don't know, maybe not as bad because his case probably was big back then. But the West Memphis Three case was like global, just because of documentary yeah. stuff like that, and you know you had people going all over. And it was also because it was about like black long hair, black clothes, black nail polish, worship with Satan, like all that shit. I think that's why that went global because they were trying to play off of that. Well, yeah. Stupid. Yeah. Which um, the one guy I talked to, he actually is spending time with. Uh, the uh, one step, uh, sorry, one of the one stepdad though. He's going to do like a documentary style. Going to be interested to see that. But uh, like I said, we're almost approaching an hour. We hope you enjoyed these three parts. Like, just to mention real quick, I wanted to get these out as quick as I could, but we're trying to stay on a schedule. <laughs> so the two week thing, because when we're recording this, this is April thirteenth. This ain't going to be out until by the time you hear this, it'll be May something <laughs> so the first, i know it's necessary i just hate schedules. The, the, the first part ain't even out yet and What's it comes out week, yeah it comes out in two days so right now yeah we're looking at a month away before this episode comes out like you don't understand when we record things like this and we're excited about it we do want to get it out but we're trying to be strict on our schedule because we ramble a lot on the episodes <laughs> yeah but we're trying to be strict and stuff on it just due to the fact because you know we're not going to record all year round like we have before like, so Just we, to avoid that burnout. Yeah, and I think, you know, this this will help, you know, with the interview and stuff. And like I said, we got some more interviews. We're going to try to plan and get out and get everything rolling. But uh, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next episode. Like I said, if you guys don't mind, you know, share this episode. Share all three parts. You know, we'd like to hear your take on it, hear your thought process behind what he said. You know, stuff like that. And if you're interested in writing him, emailing him, like I said, shoot us a message. We'll get you the information. And don't, you know, he's not going to, he's not, I personally wouldn't say he's a creep. But you know what I mean? It's going to be like creepy or anything to you. Like, you don't have to worry about it. He'll be thing. respectful. Yeah. Like, if he probably oversteps his boundaries and you said, hey, you, you know, really made it cringy, I think he would step back and be respectful about it. Yeah, he he would stop. Like, there's been things I've said I'm not comfortable talking about, and he's like, okay, and he's never mentioned it again. Well, and like I said, with him being 18, like, when he got locked up, you're still looking at, you know, his mind has been raised in a prison system, so, you know, he might still have that 18-year-old in him type thing, so, which is nothing bad, you know. But uh, thank you all for tuning in. Like I said, share it. Let us know how you, you know, like the episodes. and. Maybe, like I said, we got one more. Uh, they label him a serial killer. Uh, he says he's not. He's a killer, but he don't label himself a serial killer. He says he's an ex-professional killer. 
So, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to interview him here soon. Um, I might eventually reach out to some more, you know, to interview. And later on, it'd probably be for next season. But we've got some other people, you know, that's not a killer that we want to interview and stuff and talk to. So we'll see how it goes and see what responses I can get on it. Like I said, sometimes it takes a while to work up to things. Because I'm not, we're not rich, so we can't just be like, hey, I'll give you, you know, X amount of money to do this interview for us. So we kind of got to, we talk, if we talk to anybody, you know, we got to show them what we do and stuff like that. But uh, I think that's enough rambling. So thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next one.